Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Story time. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I've only hiked at night once, intentionally. I was camping in the very southern tip of Illinois with a with a big group of people, 10 or so. It was a privately owned park, so we weren't allowed to leave out plots past 10 p.m., but we all wanted to go stargazing at the lake. We waited till probably around midnight and left for the lake. If you've never experienced nighttime away from civilization, let me tell you, it gets dark. We all held hands and walked in a line because you quite literally couldn't see your hand in front of your face. We didn't use flashlights because we didn't want rangers to see us leaving camp so late. As we got closer to the lake we heard a non-animal make a trilling hooting sound? Imagine a baritone owl hooting into a fan, that's the best I can do to describe it ha ha. It was kinda creepy sounding, but we all just assumed it was a weird owl doing his thing. We were now in the tree line at the lake and the trilling had gotten louder and more aggressive sounding. We were all on edge and starting to think that maybe it wasn't an owl. Some of my friends laid down to look at the stars, but I was too freaked out to relax. The trilling got much closer and dirt and leaves were being thrown towards us from the tree line. Obviously not an owl at this point, we all decide to leave immediately. I'm shaking in fight or flight mode, but unable to run because we all have to hold hands or someone might get lost. We decide to take a shortcut straight through the ranger station because it seems safer than taking the trail back, also because it's lit up. The trilling follows us for a bit, but stops once we pass the ranger station. I was never more relieved to get back to camp. Still no idea what kind of cryptid it was though. I googled online, and still wonder if it could be a mothman? Okay just know I absolutely love supernatural stuff. Which is partly why I like night hiking. But after this experience I'll stick to just reading stuff on the internet. So the original plan was we would go out in a group of 4 people or so but they all ended up cancelling. I am a stubborn person and still am so I stupidly decided to go alone. I know classic horror movie shit. So I got on the road and drove to the area I was planning on hiking but it ended up being closed. So I decided to again go to a different one I've never been on. I know I'm a total idiot y'all don't need to say it, 
So continuing that I started the hike listening to the one and only panic at the disco dancing's not a crime. When I heard someone. It sounded like one of the friends that was supposed to come so I again idiotically thought they decided last minute to come. I could hear it calling my name and telling me to slow down. Once it started getting closer I turned off my music and listened closer. If it was coming towards me it should sound clearer, which sent a chill down my spine. It honestly sounded distorted like a record player with someone's finger on it. I started getting real uncomfortable when I noticed it was coming from the way I was heading, not the way I came from. From what I remembered there were no other cars. I started walking back to my car which soon turned into a run. It continued to get louder and the moment I saw my car I booked it. I jumped in and again me being the idiot I am I decided to wait for it come out into the parking lot. I waited maybe 10 to 20 seconds when I saw this tall ass black figure. I'm really bad with scaling but it was probably maybe 7 feet 8 feet tall which is not humanly possible like hell nah bitch. I turned that car on and speed of. Got a speeding ticket later on but like better than getting eaten by a 7 foot tall bitch ass weirdo. I honestly don't know if it was people messing with me or some sort of demon. If y'all know WTF. The rocky dirt road crunched beneath the truck's tires as I drove through the dense forest, careful of the branches which overhung the path and scraped the windows. My eyes were darting around constantly, keeping an eye out for wildlife and fallen trees. This far into Yosemite, there weren't many people, but as a park ranger it's my job to patrol these woods and protect visitors from nature as much as possible. Not to mention protecting nature from them. Especially this time of year when unlicensed hunters are out, and clueless campers and amateur hikers are roaming alongside them. It's often a lethal combination. Just as I was thinking about amateur hikers, I saw a woman standing a little ways off the road. She was in a rock-strewn field on a slope leading up a hill to my left. Despite the fact that we were out in the middle of nowhere, she had no hiking equipment, no backpack, nothing. As I got closer, she saw me, but began to walk away, marching up the rocky slope. This far out in the middle of nowhere, I expected a wave or a hello at the very least. Most of the time if you're out here on foot you don't see anyone for days at a time. Hey, miss. Are you okay? I yelled, worrying she was suffering from exposure. Sometimes people get lost out in these woods and by the time you reach them they're nearly catatonic. I'd seen it before, men and women with a thousand yard stare. She didn't respond, instead continuing up the slope until she reached the top. Then she disappeared into the tree line. The woman's face looked familiar, I realized, and pulled up a file on my laptop. It showed people who had been reported missing in the area. It took a minute, but eventually I found the woman's file. There were photos that matched the person I had just seen exactly. Except her clothes were different. And the woman had been reported missing 8 months prior. She should look considerably worse, I thought, especially considering her lack of supplies. These woods were harsh, brutal wilderness. Even experienced hikers and hunters had become lost in the area and had died from the elements. I quickly called into the station and told them what I'd seen, then grabbed my backpack and took off on foot, 
running up the rocky slope towards the trees. If she continued at the pace she'd been moving, I had a good chance of catching up with her. At the top of the hill I managed to find her tracks. I followed them into the woods, tracing a path through the trees. For almost an hour I followed her path through the forest, becoming more and more convinced that I should have caught up with her. I realized something was wrong, and I had lost the trail. It was like the woman had vanished. I kept moving forward, thinking maybe I would pick up her tracks again. This happened sometimes, I knew as an amateur hunter. The quarry's path would disappear occasionally only to reappear a little ways away. So I kept going, pushing aside branches and shrubbery, and moving ever deeper into the overgrown wilderness. And that was when I saw it. What the hell is that? I muttered to myself, not believing my own eyes as the object came into focus up ahead. It was a staircase that appeared out of the overgrowth, looking otherworldly in this environment. What is this doing out here? I realized I was talking to myself but couldn't help it. I also couldn't seem to help the fact that I was steadily moving towards the staircase in the forest, despite a growing feeling which told me I should stay away. The closer I got to the stairs, the more I felt as if someone was watching me. The hair stood up on the back of my neck and goosebumps rose on my arms as I approached, moving closer and closer until I was standing right in front of it. Strangely enough, the stairs looked relatively new. They appeared unassuming and normal in every way, except for their odd location. The wood was not weather-worn or moss-coated. It was clean and I would guess it had been built in the last 10 or 20 years. But the staircase ended after exactly 13 steps. It was a staircase leading to nowhere. It was an eerie sight out here, since I was well aware of how difficult it would be to construct them in the middle of nowhere. What was the purpose of them? Who would build them and why? Even as I was asking myself these questions, I found myself walking up the stairs. It was like I was in a dream, as my feet seemed to move involuntarily upwards. But the feeling of eyes on the back of my neck grew worse and worse with each step. And I could feel the weight of someone else's movements on the stairs with me, I was sure of it. Eventually the paranoia became so overpowering that I had to turn around, feeling as if someone or something was definitely right behind me on the stairs. But when I turned around there was no one there. Suddenly I felt terrified as hell, and started wondering what I'd been thinking climbing those stairs in the woods that shouldn't have been there. I started going back down, still feeling eyes watching me from all around. The trees nearby rustled with movement and I saw a vague shape moving behind them. Hurrying the remainder of the way down the steps, I called out to the figure, thinking it was the woman I had seen earlier. Miss, if that you? I've been looking all over for you? Are you alright? I asked the dark figure in the shadows, but it didn't move or respond. Instead it just continued to watch me. Okay, lady, I can't help you if you don't. Suddenly it occurred to me that the figure in the shadows was too tall to be the woman I'd seen earlier. It looked to be a person at least six and a half feet tall, maybe more. And they were ducking behind a tree so as not to be seen clearly. The thing stood up even taller and I realized it had been crouched down. It was enormous, its form impossible to examine in the low light. But it was definitely watching me. And there were more of them, I realized, 
my heart pounding faster and harder until it felt like it was going to beat right out of my chest. I spun around, looking at the forest all around me, seeing shadow shapes everywhere. For a few long moments I was frozen, unable to move or breathe or think. And then I saw a long-fingered hand pushing back the foliage, preparing to emerge. That woke me up from my trance. Whatever these things were, I could tell they were not benevolent or good. They were creatures of darkness, luring people to them so they could feast on their minds. I tore my gaze away from it and began to run. Racing through the trees, I could sense them following after me. A platoon of lanky, impossibly tall creatures with long fingers. Were they the ones who had created the staircase out here? Were they aliens? Sasquatches? I had no idea, but every time I looked back over my shoulder I saw them gaining on me, vague shapes moving so quickly they blurred and were tough to make out. That was when I realized it was getting dark outside. But that didn't make sense, since when I'd set out it had been the early morning hours, around 8am checking my watch, I saw it was no longer functioning nor were my cell phone or GPS devices working. With no other choice but to keep running, that's what I did. Bolting through the forest until eventually I found the rocky slope beside the dirt road where I'd left my truck. I ran right over the edge of the cliff, so terrified and frantic that I didn't see it coming. The things were just behind me by that point, and I was almost ready to resign myself to dying trying to fight them. Instead, I went tumbling down the rock-strewn hillside, somersaulting and hitting my elbows, knees, shoulders, and skull off the boulders and stones. A mini avalanche ensued and I went down hard, face-planting as my feet were unable to keep up with my momentum. A sharp pain struck me in the forehead and I tasted blood in my mouth as my vision went dark. I laid in a pile of rubble and went to sleep. When I woke up, there was a park ranger standing over me, asking if I was okay. The weird thing was, I didn't recognize him. You look familiar, he said, furrowing his brow. What's your name? I told him and his jaw dropped, his face turning a shade paler. It can't be. Everybody thought you were dead. Looking around, I saw my truck was nowhere to be seen. It was a different season as well, the trees were turning slightly yellow when I went into the forest, an early signal of autumn but now they were bright green as they would be at the beginning of summer. What's the date today? I asked him. He told me, but I didn't believe him at first. You're making that up, I said, shaking my head. I just went into the woods for a couple hours to find the woman. That's when I remembered her again. Did anyone find her? Or is she still missing? Nobody's seen any woman. Just like nobody has seen you for eight months. His eyes were suspicious and I realized he thought I was losing my mind. Or had lost it out in the forest. I shook my head and looked back into the woods. We gotta get a search party out there. Didn't you hear me? If you saw a woman when you went out there, she's long gone by now. My eyes stayed fixed firmly on the trees in the distance. Not for her. There's something else out there. I couldn't resist the pull of it and started wandering back up the rocky slope. It felt like I was an iron filing and that staircase was a strong magnet, drawing me towards it. We all need to go to it. The other ranger grabbed my arm and pulled me back, restraining me, yelling at me to calm down. 
It took five more men to get me to stop, and to get me into the hospital. They keep telling me what I saw wasn't real. That I was suffering from exposure. That I got lost in the forest and hit my head, suffering a concussion. The doctors say I hallucinated all of it. But I know what I saw. And as soon as I get out of this hospital, I'm going back. My family and I have always been drawn to the great outdoors. There's something about the call of the wilderness that stirs our souls. I, Mark, have a passion for hiking, instilled in me by my own father. My wife, Lisa, cherishes the tranquility of nature, and our two children, Emily and Jake, are growing up with a deep love for the woods. One crisp autumn morning, we decided to embark on a hiking adventure deep into the heart of a secluded forest. The towering pines, vibrant foliage, and the promise of a peaceful escape from the hectic city life filled us with excitement. We loaded our pickup truck with camping gear, provisions, and our faithful Labrador, Max. The forest was known to be remote, untouched by modern conveniences, and it was exactly what we were looking for. After hours of driving on winding, unpaved roads, we reached the trailhead. Tall trees blocked the sun, casting dappled shadows on the forest floor. The air was crisp, carrying the earthy scent of moss and leaves. It was exactly as we had hoped, an escape from the chaos of our daily lives. We started our hike with me leading the way, Lisa and the kids in tow, and Max, the excited dog, bounding ahead, barking with joy. The trail led us deeper into the woods, and with each step, we felt the modern world slipping away. As the day wore on, we marveled at the natural beauty surrounding us. The vibrant reds and oranges of the leaves, the babbling brooks, and the chirping of birds filled our senses. We paused by a clear, babbling creek to enjoy a simple picnic lunch, our laughter echoing through the serene forest. But as the sun dipped below the horizon and the forest grew dark, the atmosphere changed. The trees seemed to close in, their rustling leaves now ominous whispers. I checked my GPS, which showed that we were miles from the nearest trailhead or civilization. Then, we heard it, a distant, eerie cry that sent shivers down our spines. Max, our usually fearless companion, whimpered and retreated closer to the family. The forest, once so inviting, now felt like a realm of unknown danger. Our unease deepened when we stumbled upon a clearing. In the center stood a creature that defied explanation. It was taller than the pickup by easily a couple of feet. Its body was black, surrounding the white of the bones, with long arms half stretched to its sides, as if it was saying, try and hit me. It was definitely three-dimensional, tall with long arms, and dark. Dead-looking. Like light was sucked into it without reflecting anything. Its face was a haunting deer skull, devoid of eyes but with empty sockets that seemed to seep darkness. The creature exuded an aura of malevolence that paralyzed us with fear. Before we could react, the creature lunged at us with unearthly speed. Panic surged through our family as we turned and sprinted back into the woods. The predator pursued us relentlessly, its eerie cries echoing through the trees. My instincts kicked in, and I led my family deeper into the forest, veering off the trail to evade our pursuer. 
we navigated through the dense underbrush, branches snapping, and leaves crunching beneath our feet. Emily and Jake clung to Lisa and me, tears streaming down their faces. Hours passed, and exhaustion weighed us down, but we dared not stop. We could still hear the creature behind us, its presence a constant threat. With the moon high in the sky and our bodies pushed to the limits, our family found a small cave, its entrance partially hidden by overgrown shrubs. We squeezed inside, our hearts pounding, and remained huddled in the darkness, praying that the creature had lost our trail. Outside the cave, we could hear the guttural growls and rustling of leaves as the predator searched for us. Ours turned into a long, restless night as we listened to its haunting cries echoing through the forest. But the creature's presence eventually faded, and the forest fell silent. Exhausted and terrified, we allowed ourselves a fitful sleep, our dreams haunted by the bone-chilling encounter. The job of Yosemite Park Ranger isn't what most people imagine. A lot of people picture us as law enforcement types, handing out tickets and enforcing park rules, when really that's a very niche aspect of it. Mostly we're just here to assist you. Handing out maps, not speeding tickets, and giving people directions to the best views or to ideal camping locations. We remind people about safety and weather conditions from day to day. But the main thing we do, and this is more vital than people realize, is that we're just here in case anyone gets lost or hurt. We deal with a lot of belligerent people who like to think the park is their personal playground where they can do whatever they want. It's my job to remind them to follow the rules. To dispose of their trash properly, to pick up after their dog and to clip its leash back on while walking the trails. Some people take this as a personal assault on their freedoms, when really I'm just looking out for the safety of other visitors, like cyclists and horseback riders who share the paths. Dogs can be unpredictable and can misbehave on trails, and we have to look out for everyone. Still, I don't often get a lot of positive feedback for enforcing the rules. Nobody likes to be told what to do, trust me, I get it. Every once in a while something interesting happens to break up the boredom and monotony of the job. Last summer I was walking around at night, doing a patrol of the campgrounds, when I saw something rustling around in the bushes. A guy came crawling out, dressed in a furry dog costume. I asked him if he was okay and he just barked happily, then crawled away in the opposite direction. Shortly afterwards, I saw him chasing another person who was dressed as a cat, a woman who went scampering away and hid beneath a camper van, laughing excitedly and making purring sounds, licking the dirt from her fur pants with a long tongue. She saw me watching and clawed the air in front of her face, hissing territorially. It's not how I would choose to spend my Friday nights, but I'm not one to judge. By far the most interesting thing which has ever happened to me at Yosemite occurred last summer. And it wasn't just interesting. It was utterly terrifying. Every night when I fall asleep I have nightmares about that day. Every time I close my eyes, I picture those dark tunnels in the rock face. It all started when someone called in a report saying they were out on the Cathedral Lake Trail when their brother went missing. The pair had been out hiking when they got separated somehow. At first we thought it was just a routine mishap. People go missing in Yosemite all the time. 
It's no big deal in most cases, since usually the missing parties are found quickly enough. Half the time alcohol is involved and I have to remind people to pace themselves if they indulge while camping. But every once in a while those missing people don't turn up, and we have to dispatch much larger search parties. In this case I went out on my own at first, heading to where the man had called us from. I drove out on an ATV, since it was a 16 mile round trip. When I got there, the guy looked frantic. He ran over to me and started speaking way too fast to understand. I told him to slow down, and just give me the facts. It's important to stay calm in these types of situations. The guy took a deep breath and let it out. Then he started talking again, a bit slower this time. We were walking on the trail. He was right beside me. Then I turned around to look at the lake and when I looked back he was gone. Just gone. I tried to get a sense if the man had been drinking or doing drugs. It's not that I'm trying to assume the worst in people, but we have to think of these types of things. The simplest explanation is usually the right one, after all. And it was much easier to imagine the two brothers taking sips from a Mickey and one of them getting separated and lost than to imagine one of them being abducted by aliens, or taken in a very selective rapture. Slow down for a second. Take some deep breaths. What's your name, let's start with that. Greg, he said, his face turning a shade less purple as he began to inhale air with trembling breaths in and out. Okay, Greg. I took out my notepad, jotting this down, along with his last name which I'll leave out for the sake of privacy. And what's your brother's name? Dave, he said, sniffling. I saw he had been crying recently. Where was the last place you saw your brother? Let's retrace your steps. He started protesting, saying that wasn't going to help, but I convinced him we had to at least try. Greg led me back a little ways to where he'd seen his brother last. I walked back here already. And I looked all around here before calling you guys. I thought maybe he went off the trail to take a leak and tripped, hit his head. Something like that, I don't know. I was grasping at straws. But I think something. He hesitated. Something what? I probed. Do you think something took him? Like those stories you hear about? He sounded embarrassed, but I tried to get more out of him and asked him which stories he was talking about. You know. You hear stories about Yosemite and other national parks. I'm sure you've heard about them. Even if you're not in on the conspiracy. Stories where people go missing like this, and it makes no sense. Someone turns their back for a second and their son or their sister or whoever is just gone. Disappeared, like Dave. I saw it on YouTube. Aha, I replied. Not sure what corner of the internet this guy had been visiting. Well, that doesn't happen around here, I can assure you. Let's keep looking, I'm sure he'll turn up. But the longer we looked, the less we found. It really did seem like the man's brother had just vanished. I was about to call in for more support, maybe even a K-9 unit, when the man yelled from a little ways off the trail, saying he'd found something. Following the sound of his voice, I eventually came to find him at the base of the mountain, face to face with the granite wall. At first I didn't understand what he was doing there, but as I got closer I saw there was actually a cave which was well hidden in the rock face. 
It blended in perfectly with the mountainside until you were almost nose to nose with the pale grey stone. Good job, I said, patting him on the shoulder. But then I looked at our surroundings, getting nervous. We were pretty far from the path, in the thick part of the forest which was overgrown and tangled with vines and shrubbery. Do you think he would have gone into this cave on his own? Greg looked around, as if checking to see if his brother had left a message for him. But there was nothing. I don't think so. It's not like him to just leave me on the trail alone, either. Especially not for this long. If this was a prank or something he'd have come back by now. I can tell something's not right. Has your brother played pranks on you like this before? I asked. The man was in his twenties, and his brother was probably of a similar age. Young men occasionally got lost or injured trying to scare each other by pulling pranks or filming videos in the woods. It was rare but it had happened before. Once or twice, he admitted. I didn't call you guys for a while because I thought he was messing with me. I wouldn't put it past him. But not for this long. I was getting annoyed. Mosquitoes were biting my neck and I was sweating in the heat of the afternoon, after marching through the foliage for hours. I imagined the guy hiding inside the cave trying to scare his younger brother. Maybe he had fallen asleep in his dark hiding place or he was just pushing it too far, but either way, I was upset. If this was a prank, it had wasted most of my afternoon. It probably annoyed me even more because I had my own older brother who had played tricks on me more than once in our younger days, and this was bringing back memories. Alright. You can come out of there right now, I yelled, marching into the cave, thinking the young man would be hiding in the small alcove. I turned a corner and saw a dark tunnel, leading deep into the darkest recesses of the granite. This made no sense. As far as I knew, there was no tunnel in this location. Especially not one of this size. But it had been well hidden. Nearly invisible in the rock face. I wondered if anyone knew about it. And I wondered if it was safe. I didn't feel comfortable going any further. The dark space looked like it went on for a long, long way into the distance, and I was getting an eerie feeling standing there. It felt like I could almost hear voices whispering from all around me. The words were lost in the echoing cave, and I got a strong sensation that we weren't alone, like icy fingers walking slowly up my spine. The other man came in behind me, marveling at the cave for a second before continuing to press forward. Come on, Greg said, forging ahead. He might be in trouble. He was anxious to keep going. Not scared enough of this horrifying place with whispering voices coming from the shadows and his apparent lack of fear made me twice as scared. I'm going back for help, I said, shuffling backwards. It isn't safe. Nobody knows we're here. My training and my instincts were overwhelming my curiosity, but Greg seemed not to care about the dangers. The man continued going forward, disappearing into the darkness. A few seconds later he was gone, and there was no indication he had ever existed in the first place. Greg? I called out into the black abyss. There was no response. He might as well have been a ghost. An overwhelming urge to follow him rushed over me, and I took a few steps forward, feeling hypnotized by that black tunnel leading on and on forever. But then I shook my head, 
slapping my face as I tried to wake myself up from whatever trance I was in which was overruling my common sense. I turned around and left the cave, my legs shaking and my hands unsteady as I called for assistance. After meeting the search party back at the trail, we went through the woods again to find the cave hiding within the 10,000 foot tall rock face of Cathedral Peak. But it was gone. I remembered having trouble finding it the first time, and thinking it was well hidden among the pale grey surface of the mountainside. You had to be nearly face to face with the wall to see it, since it was so invisible among the crags and boulders. I tried to tell my supervisor and the other members of the search party, but they didn't believe me. They said there was no tunnel there. They looked for hours and found nothing. Helicopters swept the area and more teams with more dogs, bloodhounds and German shepherds. But nothing was turned up. There was no trace of anyone else having been out there, except me. Dumbfounded for the rest of the week, and for the rest of the summer, I couldn't focus on anything. My mind kept going back to that conversation I'd had with the man on the trail named Greg. The man who'd lost his brother and then disappeared into a cave that didn't exist. More and more, I began to wonder what would have happened if I'd followed him. It took a full year for me to build up the courage to go back out to that exact spot again. It happened to be on the same date, and around the same time of day. Only this time, I wasn't on duty. It was my weekend off, so I had plenty of time to comb the area for clues. My backpack was full of provisions and I had enough to last for a night or two in the woods, maybe longer if necessary. Somehow I knew. I just had a feeling that if I went back on that day at that time it would be there. The cave that didn't exist. Cathedral Peak loomed above me, getting larger as I made my way through the forest, moving toward it. The grey clouds above were shrouding the sun in darkness, while the thickening canopy blocked any remaining light from overhead. A chill ran through me, causing me to shiver involuntarily as I laid eyes on the black hole in the rock face, so plain and clear to see now. Taking a step forward, I found myself standing right in front of it, and I reached up my hands to feel the outline of the entryway, as if to confirm it was real. It was. I took a deep breath, like a diver about to submerge, and went inside. The air was cold and damp, with a strange, coppery smell. My flashlight was on my belt and I grabbed it, but then decided not to turn it on. I was getting a strange feeling, like I was in an unsafe place, and needed to stay silent and hidden. There was a sound coming from up ahead which I couldn't place. It was a slurping, chewing sound. Like someone tearing meat from bones with their teeth. As I went deeper and deeper into the tunnel, the air became colder, and so damp that I felt droplets of water running down my face and into my eyes. A trickle of light was filtering in somewhere as well, causing the cavern to faintly glow in places. The air seemed to shimmer and dance in front of my eyes as I went deeper and deeper, feeling entranced as I stumbled along. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? 
go stream something new on Hulu. In the shadows. Faintly I realized that there was something wrong with me, as if I had been drugged, but I no longer cared. In fact, I found the sensation to be quite pleasant. And then I was abruptly awoken from my daydream as I came around a corner and saw the horror unfolding within the guts of Cathedral Peak. I can't possibly explain what I saw down there. And the shadows obscured most of it, drenching the monstrous creature in darkness. But the impression I got was of something like an octopus or a squid, crossbred with an oversized plant or a fungus, sucking and slurping, chewing and crunching something between its teeth. After a few moments of inspection, I realized it was a person's face that was being eaten, as the details could just barely be seen in the dim light of the cave. The skin was being stripped from its cheeks, the eyelids ripped off, and the lips peeled back and slurped up like noodles. Tentacles like tangled vines were everywhere, slithering and sliding across the pale gray stone floor all around me. At first I thought it was mud beneath my feet, but as I came fully to my senses I realized it was blood mingling and mixing with the dust beneath my feet, creating a dark, toxic red slurry which sucked at my boot heels. The tentacle vine things were everywhere, I realized with numb shock. My feet were actually stepping on some of them and I was amazed the creature hadn't noticed me yet. But it was obviously too caught up with whatever meal it was currently ingesting. Feeling very glad I hadn't turned on my flashlight, I began to back away very slowly, my boots crunching across the writhing tentacles. A sick knot in my stomach was rising up and threatening to make me puke, fear and revulsion twisting my gut. My mind was spinning and my thoughts were racing, understanding there was a very good chance I would never leave this place. I tried desperately not to step on any more of the squirming, writhing tentacles which moved and twisted on the floor of the cave, soaking and basking in the blood which had been spilled everywhere, like pigs rolling happily in the mud. There was no possible way there could be so much of it, I thought. No one person has this much blood. This is like a river. And then I saw the others. They were hanging suspended from the ceiling, from the walls, from everywhere. Amidst the purple, vine tentacles, they breathed in and out, still being kept alive, but just barely. Dozens of them were strung up and down the length of the cave, their chests rising and falling with weak breaths, but none of them opening their eyes or speaking. It was like they were sleeping. After a few long moments of searching, I found him. Greg. The hiker from the trail who was looking for his brother. He was hanging upside down from the wall just beside me, his eyes closed. Parts of him were missing, a piece of his cheek, part of his hand, but the wounds were slowly healing. The creature, whatever it was, kept its victims alive down there, I realized. It was ingesting them slowly, perhaps even using pieces of its other victims as nutrients to feed the ones who were dying of starvation, like an otherworldly pyramid scheme built of blood and human remains. Shaking that mental image away, I grabbed Greg's shoulder, hoping to wake him up quietly. His eyes shot open a second after I touched him, revealing only the whites, and he began to screech. And I don't mean screeching like he was screaming out of fear of pain or anything like that. This was an inhuman alarm cry which signified to me immediately that there was no shred of humanity left in him. 
He was now a part of the hive mind of the creature and its tentacle army. As his head turned on a swivel I saw smaller tentacles were wrapped around him, going into his brain and into his neck, invading his ears and eyes, and drilled into his spinal column. I screamed involuntarily, seeing these details, and heard the creature in the tunnel as it recognized my presence. It wasn't fast, whatever it was, but it was huge. The cave shook around me, dust and pebbles falling from the stone ceiling above as I backed away from the hiker. Beneath my feet the vines were suddenly moving quickly, sliding around so that I couldn't find my balance. As soon as my shoes found purchase on the stone floor beneath me, I began to run. The tunnel was alive all around me now, the whipping vines twisting and bending toward me, reaching out like greedy hands trying to grab me as I raced past. Looking over my shoulder, I saw the amorphous creature's central girth was finding its way through the cave and was moving my way a lot faster than I would have thought possible. But then again, I wouldn't have thought any of this was possible before living it. The light of the entryway was just up ahead, and I could smell the fresh air, and could see the sun. Then my feet suddenly slipped as if someone had pulled a rug out from under me and I went crashing to the ground face first. My jaw closed hard and bit the end of my tongue, causing it to bleed, the taste of copper filling my mouth a second later. I tried to get to my feet, the mental image of those poor, trapped people could be seen clearly in my mind's eye. In retrospect, I think the creature, whatever it was, needed us to be unsuspecting. If we were aware of what it was doing, its hypnosis wouldn't work. Maybe it was a chemical it released which caused people to want to explore the cave, a pheromone-like insects used to communicate. But it didn't work as well if you knew about it, and if you understood its purpose. It released some more of that pheromone or whatever chemical it was using to lure people in, and I actually felt my legs grow a bit heavier. My eyelids, too. It was like I had suddenly just worked three night shifts, and really needed to sleep. But then the wave of hypnosis passed and I felt the rumbling of the ground beneath me and that broke me from the trance again, causing me to scramble to my feet from the cave floor and run. As I neared the cave entrance and sprinted toward it, leaving my backpack far behind in an effort to lighten the load, I saw the rocks were actually closing in, tightening the gap. The entryway was shrinking somehow. It was the vines, I realized. They were what was camouflaging the entrance, their color changing to match the pale gray stone. I picked up my pace, the twisting forms beneath me making it even more difficult. I didn't dare risk a glance over my shoulder, feeling the rumbling of the floor and knowing that the bulk of the creature was just behind me, closing in. With the gap of the exit narrowing even further, shrinking to the size of a dartboard, I dove headfirst into it, imagining my face slamming into a sheer rock wall as it suddenly turned to stone right in front of me, sealing me in this dark labyrinth of suffering forever with the rest of these tortured souls. My eyes were squinted tightly shut as I felt the vines pulling and tearing at me as I went through the gap. For an instant they squeezed in around my midsection, threatening to stop me like Winnie the Pooh after an unfortunate attempt at pilfering honey when I popped out of the hole and it sealed up behind me in an instant. I heard a loud crash as the creature flew headlong into its own obstruction. The trap it had created for me to keep me there had hindered its escape, preventing it from chasing after me. 
I could hear it thrashing and clawing at the vines, desperate for more flesh to sustain itself. Whatever it was, it was growing too large even for its own control. Left alone to feed in the heart of the mountain, it would eventually destroy itself. It would consume its own flesh to sate its monstrous hunger, like a snake eating its own tail. I had a very strong suspicion that it was true. With that very specific idea in mind, I wandered back to my car. It was easier now without the backpack and all the gear. But the walk back to the cave would be harder. There would be lots to carry next time. After a trip to the hardware store, I went back out to the trail. It was nighttime now, and the place was abandoned. I borrowed one of the Ranger ATVs and took my supplies out to the spot where the cave had been. After bringing a few buckets of water from the lake, I began my work. Since I had marked the cave, it was easy to find it again, and to begin laying down the fast-drying cement. As park rangers, our job is usually to stop people from vandalizing mountains in this way, but I got the feeling Mother Nature would forgive me. It was my job to protect this place, and the people who visited. And nothing could protect people from this thing. It was best to seal it away forever, and let it slowly consume itself. Without a fresh supply of hikers, it would eventually run out of calories. It would eventually expire. It was only a matter of time. The vine tentacle squirmed beneath the layer of cement, groggily reaching out for me, trying to pull me in. I grabbed the trowel and slopped on another thick coating and watched as it rapidly began to dry. And the tentacles began to smooth out and settle down again, falling back asleep. That inhuman shriek could be heard from inside again, much louder this time. As if all of the hikers who the creature had abducted had all woken up at the same instant, and for just a second, realized their predicament. Sorry, Greg, I muttered to myself, alone in the dark forest. I told you not to go in there. This event occurred in northwestern Ohio in the summer of 2018. I was camping with my brother along Lake Erie near the Pickerel Creek Wildlife Area just west of our home in Sandusky, Ohio. So, that first night, we went to sleep early. I woke up at around 2.30 am. Because I had to take a leak. My brother was fast asleep. The moon was almost full that night so it gave off plenty of light for me to see everything outside the tent. There weren't many bushes in the area around our campsite so I didn't have to worry or be afraid of something hiding and waiting to sneak up on me. I was walking away from our camp when I saw something that scared the crap out of me not far from me. There were two dog-like creatures just standing there staring at me. When I say standing, I mean on two legs. I completely freaked out and I started running back to the tent. I heard what sounded like they were chasing after me and making the strangest noises. Not so much a dog or wolf sound but more of something like a human. It was the scariest sound I had ever heard. I was too afraid to turn around. I thought that at any second they would pounce on me and attack but that never happened. When I did make it back to the tent I dove into it. I scared the crap out of my brother who asked what was going on. I told him what had just happened. He gave me a strange look and then laughed, telling me to shut up. I told him if he didn't believe me to go out there himself and see. He laughed again and said, sure thing. 
I have to go anyway. So I sat there and I watched him stand up and head out of the tent. I knew that this was serious and I couldn't let him go out there by himself, so I followed him out of the tent and into the darkness. My eyes took a few seconds to adjust but I could see him standing about 20 yards away staring off at the trees. I walked over next to him and I looked in that direction too. We were staring into pitch black woods, but then as my eyes adjusted I could see something in the shadows. It was a part dog part man creature. It didn't move or growl it just stood there upright and looking at us. The dog part, the upper half, looked like a German shepherd, but with yellow eyes and a dog-like head. The human part started about mid-torso downward. It was standing there on two legs like a man. The upper part was hairy like a dog but the bottom half was hairless like a human man. I whispered to my brother and asked what he thought it was. He said nothing. He was literally paralyzed with fear and shock. I grabbed him and pulled him back to the tent. As we ran back, the creature let out a horrific howl. The sound of that thing echoed through the trees. It was like nothing I had ever heard before. We dove into the tent and piled our backpacks and gear in front of the entrance as if this would offer us protection. We were both absolutely terrified. He was shaking and I felt like I had to throw up. I asked him what we should do now and he said that he didn't know but if this thing got in our tent it would kill us for sure. Then we heard a dog howl in the distance and we started to feel relieved, even though I knew that it may have been the second creature that I had encountered earlier. Then it was answered by another howl closer to us like, right outside the tent. It had followed us. We then heard scratching and digging sounds. We were both screaming hysterically at this point. Then it stopped and there was nothing but silence. We waited inside the tent for at least 15 minutes, hoping that it had left. We decided to risk it and peek outside the tent. I grabbed the flashlight and peeked through the flap. I saw nothing. I waited a bit longer, but then I looked out into the campsite. There was nothing there. We decided to stay put in the tent until daylight. There was no way that we were going to walk through the dark woods toward my car in an attempt to escape these creatures. After what seemed like forever, the morning light started creeping through the forest canopy. We both slowly exited the tent and looked around us. There were large canine and human-like prints all around the campsite, especially in a circle around the tent. We quickly gathered all of our gear and started to hike quickly toward my car, which was parked in a lot about a half mile away. When we reached the car, the first thing that I noticed was a terrible stench. I didn't know what it was but the odor was very strong. It was so strong that we smelled it after we got it and drove off. My brother believes that the creatures may have found the car and marked it as theirs. I wasn't sure if that was true but the stench lingered in the car for days. When I got home, after dropping my brother off at his apartment, I started looking online in an attempt to find answers. I read several accounts about dogman sightings throughout Ohio, but none were from the area where we had been. That was five years ago. My brother and I still enjoy the outdoors, but we have not returned to the area of our encounter. We are both more aware of our surroundings when hiking and camping. But we just do not talk about the encounter with each other. Used to go on holiday to the south of France every year with my parents, 
They were big into walking and seeing the surrounding areas so my sister and I would always be dragged along with them. There was one time we had stopped to eat dinner at the top of a mountain, probably one of the longest walks we'd been on since my sister and I were only around 10 and 12 years old. Whilst we were sat on some boulders eating, this old French lady, probably around 70 years old, approached my parents and asked if they could show her the way down the mountain as she was looking for her husband. Bear in mind this was a very isolated spot and we hadn't seen any other people on this entire walk. My parents were confused how such an elderly old lady had made it so far up the mountain in such heat and no hiking gear. They attempted to communicate with her and see if she had any explanation of how she got there but she insisted that she just needed to find her husband. As we started walking back down the mountain she began to follow us. All of my family were wearing hiking boots and using sticks to aid us in our descent as the path was incredibly steep and we all slipped many times. The old lady however, did not struggle, she followed us down without misplacing a step. The creepiest thing about her though, was that the entire way down all she would say was ooh la la anytime any of my family slipped or seemed to struggle finding the right place to put our feet. Once we reached the bottom of the mountain and were on the path back to the car park, she said, thank you and began following the path we had taken to get to the top of the mountain. She is now referred to in my family as the ooh la la woman. This happened to me in the early 2000s. It was nearing 4.45 am and I was taking some time by the Willamette River before stores opened. I was living in Eugene, Oregon. The spot I chose to stop and rest was next to the famous Owen Rose Garden Park and Interstate 5 ran overhead. I was underneath and next to the river. It was springtime and the temperature was cold but not freezing. I put my back against one of the support beams from the highway and rested. That's when I noticed some strange things going on across the river from where I was, maybe 50 feet on the bank. I saw two tall, thin but very muscular, mantis insect beings on the other bank. I'm nauseated writing this now. The first one was less than 10 feet from the water's edge, not moving at all but eyes were open, glassy like mirrors. There was a person there, on the ground, face down and looking like maybe he fell? Then I noticed the second hellion. I hadn't noticed him before because he wasn't all that clear. This creature was beating forward and back really quickly. He was leaning over another body. The body didn't move but this thing did. Very fast. A blur actually. I became afraid at this point and slid my butt forward so my head and vision would go down. That's when I heard strange talking. I also heard the banging of metal on concrete. I looked up, I didn't want to, and saw what looked like a white, bald man with big black sunglasses. He was looking from behind the pillar barely 15 feet away from me. We just looked at each other and then I began sliding down as far as I could go and not see him. I thought to myself, the hell with this. I gathered my courage and jumped up, grabbed my bike, and began riding as fast as I could in order to get away. Right after I started riding, I started throwing up. It was way too much for me. But then something flashed right by me in hyper speed. All I saw was this disturbance in the air. I said out loud, what the hell was that? To feel safe, 
I ended up at our hospital sitting in the ER lobby. There was a car going around and around the block until about 6 6 30 am. The windows were fogged but I could see three outlines. Were they lost? I'm not sure. I went back two days later and there was nothing to stand on behind the pillar of the guy with glasses. The pillar goes right into the river. Also, I couldn't find any tracks on the other side, but it did look dug up. Like a dozer or something. There were also others in line, going up to the highway. I couldn't figure out where they were going. I was born in Traverse City, Michigan, and lived there until 1993. It was the fall of 1991 and I had been at a friend's house. I was coming back to my house and as I walked up toward my house I saw the curtains in my living room window pulled aside and someone look out at me. As I walked through the front door I came to realize no one was home. I was confused because I had clearly seen the curtain pulled back and a face looked out at me. I looked around the house and started down the hall toward my bedroom. The whole time I was thinking one of my brothers was playing with me and I was expecting them to hop out. My mother's room was at the end of the hall. Near the lower right edge of her door, I saw what I thought was our cat peering around the corner at me. A dark face low to the ground. I called to the cat and then stood frozen as the face rose about four feet. I still get chills from the image in my mind. It wasn't the cat. It was something else. I remember this feeling in my legs that they wouldn't move. They were cemented to the floor like in nightmares. I felt chills run down my spine to my feet and I bolted through the front door as fast as I could. I ran to the dirt driveway and stood still unsure what to do or where to go. Suddenly I saw my mom and brothers and our car in the driveway. I had to shake off the feeling that I wasn't alone anymore but also that the daylight was suddenly gone. Somehow it had gone from day to night and I had no memory of it. I don't remember my family pulling into the drive. Some call this missing time. Mine wasn't just missing, it was non-existent. Through the years I have had a recurring dream about this event and it becomes clearer as I get older. I remember my room and my bed. I remember staring out the window at night as I fell asleep and often seeing strange lights. I would mention these to my family and faced constant ridicule for it. This also occurred when I was much younger and my mother would try to explain them as simple tricks of the eyes. Light from cars or something in my peripheral vision seemed brighter than they really were. Many nights during my summer vacations, from the years 1994 to 1996, I would lay out after our bonfires and look at the stars. I had a fascination with counting satellites and seeing shooting stars. There were times I can remember seeing what I thought were satellites and following them and they're heading only to see them waver and change direction. I can also recall seeing what I thought were multiple satellites in formation. This all sounds ridiculous I know but I'm almost 40 now and this is still with me. I carry it with me like a dark secret. I guess I'm looking for advice on this. I've heard there are therapy options or even hypnosis, although I'm a huge skeptic of hypnosis being used to remember events. Here's a story you can use if you want. When I was in my teens, probably 14 or 15, I remember tossing and turning in my bed in the early morning. 
I opened my eyes for a split second while turning over like most people do, and I swear to God I saw a small gnome, gremlin-like creature sitting on my shelf watching me, illuminated by the bluish early morning light coming in through the windows. It was about one foot tall, grayish-brown, wearing just a simple tunic on its torso and that's it. It looked a bit like an elf from the Harry Potter movies, but they hadn't been released yet, so that image couldn't have been implanted in my brain, as if I was just dreaming this little creature was sitting there. I remember it was sitting with its legs crisscrossed, with its right hand resting on its left knee. It smiled at me, waved very excitedly, and smiled a big toothy grin like he was some long-lost friend happy to see me. Looking back on it, it seemed genuinely nice. I didn't sense any negativity or evil from it at all. I remember seeing it, knowing I was awake, and not thinking anything of it. Upon waking up though, I was creeped out. Did I really see that or was I just half asleep and still dreaming? In my area of New England, near the Bridgewater Triangle, there are stories of puckwudgies, which are from Native American folklore. Basically small impish trickster-type creatures. My father was also an avid collector of Native American artifacts like beads, pottery, and arrowheads, so maybe it was some sort of forest spirit hanging out of my house. This is not a UFO sighting but something I feel is related and very interesting. After watching a program about a man with something in his body, they extracted it and did not know what it was. I immediately recognized the object and even now, I'm getting tingly just writing about it. I was about 16 years old, living in Burnaby, British Columbia, and I was rubbing my calf with my hands as I felt something. I looked closer to find there was something embedded in the right side of my leg below the knee. I tried to get a hold of it with my fingers, but it was too smooth and pointy to get a grip. My mother had a pair of tweezers close by. I propped my leg up on the bathtub. I pinched it with the tweezers and began to pull. I was shocked to see this thing in my leg being so long and pointy, yet I felt no pain. After I pulled it out, there was no blood, but only a hole. I looked at it closely and I can remember it being very similar to a thin yet long and pointy piece of rice. It had a gold, brown color to it and was very hard. I didn't think much of it at the time as I was only 16. The best is yet to come. Frequently, over the next several years, I marveled at the hole. I looked at it, felt it, and didn't go away. For another couple of years, I forgot about it. Then once again, I remembered it. I looked at it and saw another object in the very same hole. I got up and looked for some tweezers. After finally finding some, I pulled it out again. It was identical to the one I pulled out the first time. Again, I was stupid and did not think to save the piece. It has been about 20 years since I pulled the last one out, and still think of it. I still look at it, but it hasn't returned. The only thing I have left is a groan and hole, that you still can see. I joke about it to the people I tell and even show them the hole. I tell them the people planning this bug on me, finally got sick and tired of me removing it. In October 2016, Ray Dove claims that she and two friends traveled to the Joshua Tree National Park to camp. 
All of them had an interest in ufology and hoped something would happen on their trip. On the first night, while lying in her tent, Dove was awakened by a large bug crawling across her face. Thinking it might be a spider, she immediately sprang up grabbed the bug off her face, and tossed it. I could hear it hit the side of the tent, it was that big, she noted. She began to fall back asleep. She felt guilty, or something, and thought about removing the bug from the tent but was tired. I suddenly woke up again feeling that same squishy bug walking across my face however this time with more composure and care I gently pulled the mystery bug off my face. I did that and placed it on the floor of my tent and shined my flashlight on it to see what it actually was. It was the largest ant I have ever seen. It must have been half an inch long. She noted that it was a transparent golden color. Not your normal everyday red and black little ants walking around, for sure. This ant definitely didn't resemble the little red ants I had seen earlier that day outside our camp. She gently scooped it up and put it outside. That morning they all left. The very next day, a Saturday, they decided to return that night and do another campout. They went off the main road far into the heart of the park. It was a bumpy dirt road in the middle of nowhere. We found a spot next to a small dried out wash to one side of us and tall bushes surrounding us. We set up our chairs facing each other as we meditated, something we practice in order to raise our consciousnesses for sharper perception, she noted. Soon, the person sitting to her left, via his third eye vision, told her that two bright basketball-sized light flashes were going off next to her about three feet off the ground and fifteen minutes apart. Dove, of course, could not see anything but she began to feel something and it was weird. I could feel in the back of my head this is similar to what some would refer to as hair raising. It felt like someone was standing directly behind me. About this time I said out loud, they are here. The person seated next to Dove noted that he could feel them too. We didn't know who they were but intuitively knew that non-human beings were very near us. We could feel their presence. Dove attempted to communicate in her mind, and at one point felt a connection though it felt emotionless. This being felt void of any strong feelings that I could pick up on although there did seem to be a hint of curiosity on his part, she recalled. With my eyes closed I saw the being, with what some would call your third eye or intuitive vision. I only saw the outlining shape of the being's head. It was like that of an elongated upside-down triangle. At the same time the person sitting next to me also intuitively picked up on a feeling of an insect with an elongated upside-down triangular head, as well. Then with my eyes still closed, I saw in my inner vision an approaching tall maybe six-foot non-human being walking down the wash that was directly in front of me up towards the person to my left. Surprised, I opened my eyes and could still see the being approaching. According to Dove, the being seemed to be phasing in and out ever so slightly as he walked. He had his head turned to the side looking directly at me. It was as if he was not actually touching the ground as he walked but was gliding over it smoothly like on an elevator belt. He stopped within two feet of the person to my left, then turned slightly towards me almost brushing against the person's side which was felt on the arm of my fellow participant as a light brush. The being then phased out I could no longer see him for a moment. 
Then suddenly I sensed the being standing directly in front of me very close and watching me intently. It felt like a presence of warm energy. I could strongly sense the energy of this being. Dove attempted to communicate in her mind with the being, pushing thoughts of benevolence and peace. He was still looking straight at me. His body then faded out leaving only the outline of his head with large round dark shiny eyes. I then asked him telepathically, who are you? As I waited for a response, his face slowly moved closer to mine until it stopped just one foot away from mine. He drew in closer still as his face phased out completely leaving only his two dark eyes at eye level with my own eyes, fixated on mine keenly and piercing me as though he was trying to read me. I would open my eyes then close them, then open them again but his eyes were still there. His eyes drew in closer still and in an intensely piercing fashion he said to me, slowly telepathically, we are of the earth, and from the earth, we are from an ancient line going back eons. Then his eyes dissolved into the night as I started feeling this strong connection like connecting the dots from this being and that mysterious gold ant that was in my tent the night before. I would see this ant-like being in my mind and then the visual would suddenly switch back to the ant then back to the being again. This repeated several times back and forth I felt a great respect for this being and the ant equally. We all sat in stillness and quietness for quite a while afterward feeling the being's continued presence surrounding us. It felt as though there was more than one insectoid-like being there with us. In the years since her experience, she wondered if the being she saw was connected to the Hopi ant people. Could these ant-like insectoid beings that I met not be confused with mantis-like beings, greys or other similarly described beings, possibly be the same ant people of the legends and lore of the Hopi and other indigenous peoples? I believe that this is entirely possible and I get a strong sense that after my experience with them, this is the case. The Hopi people have described ant-like beings that were friendly, and helpful and acted as teachers. They were kind and were ultra peaceful people. The one I met certainly fit all of these characteristics.